You nervous? I just want to get this right. I'm Russell Subiono. From Hawaii Public Radio, this is our Hawaii. Here's the deal. We want to create a space for something new. A forum where we can discuss our attitudes towards land stewardship and the legacy of land ownership. And how they affect something else. Something much harder to pin down. Our sense of belonging. My sense of belonging. I was born on Oahu and grew up on Hawaii Island. My family is Kanaka Ui. We're Hawaiian. And I'm proud of that history. But sometimes it's hard to picture what my future or my kids' future in Hawaii looks like. So when I say the title of our show, Oko Ma Ko Hawaii Keia, this is our Hawaii. Think of it not just as a statement of ownership, but a question about belonging. One that I'm asking myself too. We're taking on topics like how Lanai fell under private ownership for the first time. If Molokai residents can buy back their land from foreign corporations, and how the big island town of Waimea, my hometown, is changing as more and more Malihini or newcomers buy second homes. And through that, we're seeing how these communities feel about what it means to belong in Hawaii. This show is different from everything I've done as a journalist before, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Over the past year, I've visited all these communities along with my producer, Savannah Harriman Pope. You heard her at the top. And this first episode hits close to home for both of us. We're going to Waipio Valley. Okay, where do you want to start? For me, the story starts about a year ago, September 2022. I think you had messaged me actually a link uh, to some news clips about YPO, and I ignored it because at that point, I felt like my entire feed was posts, images, and videos. Protests over access to YPO Valley. Hundreds turn out for a peaceful demonstration to support ocean access to the scenic YPO Valley. Showing some kind of standoff between residents at YPO Valley on Hawaii Island. It's one of the most sacred places on the island for reasons that are easy to list. It's the home of Hive Chiefs, the heart of Kalo farming, and has one of the largest black sand beaches in Hawaii. But it's hard to fully understand the energy that valley has, unless you've been there. I saw some headlines a couple of months ago about the mayor closing the road to the valley, which is the only way in unless you have a boat or a jetpack. The road was apparently unsafe, which didn't seem like too much of a stretch. It's really just a mule trail that was paved over a few decades ago. And it's steep, like splash mountain steep. At certain parts, it's a 45% grade, making it the steepest road in the world. And nowadays, it's usually crawling with tourists driving up and down in rented Jeeps or making the trip on foot to the endless frustration of farmers trying to haul out their harvests of kalo. Locals have been advocating for road improvements for years, but what finally pushed the county to act was a geotechnical survey showing serious concerns of rockfall. And just like that, Road closed indefinitely. Only residents of the valley could use it, which, you know, upset some people. Hawaii County Mayor Mitch Roth closed Waipio Valley Road in February, allowing only the valley's residents in. 
because of safety concerns, but that led to a backlash from others in the community. Tour operators who made their living taking people into the valley, surfers who came to YPO for Dawn Patrol, community members who felt like their right to public access was being violated. And some of those people sued. Overkill, maybe, but it worked. We got challenged in court. That's Hawaii County Mayor Mitch Roth. We came up with some additional rules, and some of those rules backed off a little bit. And the new rule was this. If you have a Hawaii County driver's license, you can go down into YPO. YPO is an important place to a lot of people, including me. I grew up going camping down in the valley, and I took my kids camping there. My five worst wipeouts were at that break. When the county closed the road in February, I wasn't sure when or if I'd be able to go back down, and that hurt. Doesn't feel good to be told you don't belong. So I was sort of relieved by the new rules. And then within a few days, everything just kind of imploded. The dispute over access to the Big Island's gorgeous YPO Valley isn't only pitting residents against visitors. Some people who live there want other Hawaii County residents to stay out as well, at least for now. Enough, said Valley residents. You didn't consult us. We work the land here. That road is the only access point to our Kalo fields. If we lose the road, we lose YPO. The mayor doesn't get to decide who goes into the valley. The surfers don't get to decide who goes into the valley. We do. These residents, under the name Protect YPO Valley, started manning a checkpoint 24-7, telling tourists that the valley was closed to visitors and asking their fellow community members to stay out as well. And so we got this standoff. With neither side looking ready to call it anytime soon, which I guess is when some people started paying attention and texting me way after hours. Okay, in my defense, that is my job. And also, I just feel like this is a place you have a real connection to. And I felt like you were the one who could really tell this story. Yeah, but the thing is, in these videos, I saw faces I knew on both sides of the protest. And I knew if I went, I wouldn't just be Russell Subiono journalist. I'd be Russell Subiono, one kid from Waimea, and I'd be expected to pick a side. So I knew the best thing for me to do would be to just stay out of it. But that's not really how stories get told. Yeah, you guys can be on the road. It's been closed since February. Yeah, but right there's a... Right, no, it's not pointing that way. Right there, you're reading the sign. YPO needs our protection. We are here because YPO cannot speak for itself. That statement right there was the start of the creation of the division in our community is saying that some people have access, others don't. Arriving at dawn at the YPO lookout underscored one of the main truths of my life. Aunties really run the show. How's it? Good morning, aunties. Good morning. Get over there and have some breakfast, guys. Okay, thank you, thank you. Three women, all who've turned the corner on 60, are manning the Kupuna checkpoint. One of the women, Auntie Sherry Pung, calls me over to a folding table where she's laid out a few trays of eggs, sausage, and rice. Oh, this is our breakfast table. And whoever can make it to make breakfast, there's a cooler full of food. You just do what you need to do, cook breakfast, bring it to the table and wait for whoever comes and eat. I'm surprised at how big the checkpoint is. Overhead tents cover four or five parking stalls on one side of the lookout's small parking lot. Underneath, you've got two large stoves, chairs, tables, cots, and what looks like a full Costco aisle of canned goods. 
this area here is our sleeping quarters for whoever is going to watch the checkpoint. So there's a lot of carts, enough carts for maybe 10 people. Uh, they just put in this rug because it was kind of dusty yeah, when the wind comes. And the, the children, we want to keep the dust away from the kids. And um, when we're done sleeping, everybody folds their carts, put it away. And usually, Uncle Pas, Craig Pascoa, yeah, they'll play music over here. And um, Sala and um, Adam. Yeah, <laughs> God is good. This table here is um, people will come and they'll drop off stuff. And usually it's fruits and vegetables, chips. Look at that watermelon. And then we have coconuts, we have ulu. Uh, this is, yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever tried pipinola pickle, like mango pickle. Oh no, I never have. This is better than the mango. It's early December, 2022. It's closing in on a year since the road was first shut down. At this point, Auntie Sherry and her crew have been up at the Kupuna checkpoint at the top of the road, night and day, for more than two months. People come and go as they can, fitting in shifts around work or childcare. Auntie Sherry got up at 3 a.m. this morning to make hot rice and get breakfast ready. You know, that's our share of our duties, yeah? She'll stay for another couple of hours until she has to go watch her grandkids. It makes for a long day, but Auntie Sherry feels like she owes it to the valley. And because I have leased land down there, I am responsible to come over here and give my kukua. I came to see the Kupuna checkpoint for myself to get a sense of what the people running it were trying to accomplish. Ask Auntie Sherry, and she'll say the main kukua of the checkpoint is to educate people, visitors and residents alike, about the dangers of the road. We're, we're not trying to not let them see the valley and the beauty of Waipio, but keeping them up here for the safety of Waipio, because we don't want them to get hurt. They're gonna sue the county and we'll never get the road fixed, yeah? But there's kind of a gray area about what the Kupuna checkpoint's exact role is. Some people think that the residents at the checkpoint are playing God, or at the very least mayor, overstepping their authority, making calls about who can and can't go down to the valley, calls that should be left to the county. While I'm there, I watch how this dynamic plays out. For instance, if a truck passes the checkpoint that Auntie Sherry doesn't recognize, she'll flag them down and ask for their driver's license to make sure they're residents and allowed to go down. Oh, what's this going to say? Hawaii driver's license, please? So I brought this up with Mayor Roth. Like, shouldn't you have somebody else doing that? Somebody actually on payroll? What exactly has the county's enforcement policy been anyway? So we already had um, the, the rangers who work uh, under the Parks and Rec. They were already up there. Um, and we did not feel at that time it was necessary to, um, you know, bring police. Right off the bat, the mayor said we're not going to get HPD officers up here which we're not, we just information. There's two rangers who work shifts at the top of YPO Valley Road. Uncle Darren Gamayo is one of them. Uncle Darren's not law enforcement. He's a public information officer. So there's only so much he can actually do to really stop somebody who is intent on driving down. Do you, do you have 
the authority to stop people if they're if they're not in a four-wheel drive vehicle we can we just pretty much we we just advise them and if they don't comply then we just call the police department we just call HGPD and it's up to them whether they come or not and we try our best you know what I mean we we do with everything you know even when once we tell once they leave our point here and whatever happened on the hill coming up whether they pay attention to what we told them about the, the traffic rules and you know it's beyond our control yeah the public information officers work shifts every day but they typically aren't there for dawn patrol or any time after dark at that point it's all an honor system about whether or not you follow the rules the county tried to address this in november by hiring private security to watch the road down to the valley after hours and then finally now what we get here, the security after hours is what we needed in February. You know, after these guys started, you know, being here. But they were saying that the guard's only here until like 11 or something. Yeah, 12 yeah. o'clock, 3 to 12. But sometimes they hear something. Right. <laughs> so there was this vacuum right from the beginning. And for better or worse, the Kupuna checkpoint filled it. When we first started, that's what we always ask for, community support. We can only say so much because of what our rules are but if you get more of, if you get more of one voice then then that that'll help so having the kupuna set up no matter what there's more than one voice yeah. Yeah? yeah the people at the kupuna checkpoint see themselves as protectors of ypo valley but who exactly do they think they're protecting the valley from Born and raised here in Hamakua, in Honokawa, blonde hair, blue eyes. You think I wanted to be at the forefront of being pitted against Hawaiian? I'm like, I felt like I got past that in high school already. I'm like, I do not want to be in this position again. But I was forced to be in this position. And I'm doing it because of how much I care and how much I love this place. Next, the lawsuit that reopened Waipio and tore the community in half. After the break. We try to keep you connected whether you join us from Kau, Kaho'olawe, Kahului, or Kaka'ako, or maybe it's Maine, Maryland, or Missouri. Hawaii Public Radio helps to keep you akamai about what's happening in the islands. Join us. We'll keep you updated on the latest local news, Maokuta Makai. We've got you covered on the conversation Monday through Friday, 11 to noon. Okay, wait, it's closed? And for we don't know how long? I'm Russell Subiono. This is our Hawaii. That's Roland Shackelford. He's the president of Malama Ikekai o Waipio, the group called Maka for short, got some press last summer when its members sued the county for shutting down the Waipio Valley Road. Recording in progress. How's it going, Russell? Hey, Roland, how's it going, man? Good. What yourself? Ah, not too bad, man. Almost, almost the end of the day. Almost the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. It's it's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. And I, I'm sorry. Who, I, who's the person with you? <laughs> oh, sorry. This is my wife, Nahaku. Hey, Nahaku, how's it going? Hi. Good. So we've been going through this together as a team. Roland's a little younger than me. But he reminds me of many of the blonde local surfers that I grew up with. If we knew each other growing up, we easily could have been friends. He runs a solar energy company with his dad and lives in Waimea with Nahaku and their kids. 
They've got wind chimes hanging by their front door, and I can hear their faint ringing through the Zoom call. It seems like a nice, quiet life. I try to picture Roland in a suit, in a courtroom, in front of a judge, and it doesn't quite square up with the chill guy I'm looking at through my computer screen. You know, I think right off the bat, uh, what I'm interested in is understanding, you know, what the what the valley means to you guys. Why why do you feel it so special? Gosh, as a kid, some of my earliest memories of being a kid is being down in YPO. Um, I grew up with a twin brother, two older sisters, and an older brother. And a lot of our life growing up was at the beach, learning how to surf, learning how to understand the ocean, understand the river, meeting other communities at the beach. I mean, a lot of my lifelong friends and connections through both my business world that I operate in now and life here in Hawaii was all made there at the beach. Nahaku, what about what about you? What's your what's your connection down to YPO? I was born and raised in Hilo, and so YPO was has been a part of my life, but not to the extent that um, it is for a lot of the kids that grew up in Honoka and on the Hamakua coast. Um, but when we got together and we were building our life together, I really, I mean, you can hear the passion in Roland, and you know we're a team. And, and so after. After Mayor Roth issued the emergency uh, proclamation in February 2022 that essentially closed the road to into YPO Valley, a lawsuit was filed on behalf of MACA that named several rights that plaintiffs felt were violated. Can you articulate the the rights that that emergency proclamation uh, infringed upon? Legalese isn't my strong point. And it's not my strong suit either, but I'll give it a go. The central claim of Maka's case reads like this. Article 1, Section 2 of the Hawaii Constitution guarantees all persons certain inherent and inalienable rights, including enjoyment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm quoting here, For plaintiffs and their ohana, access to the beach and ocean at Waipio is necessary to fulfill their enjoyment of life and pursuit of happiness. Boiling that down, Maka says they have a legally protected right to access the shoreline in YPO. You know, it's a sensitive subject. No one wants to say, hey, I have rights over you, you have rights over me. Obviously, small town, small community, divisive issue, right? I feel the other side just thinks about what is beneficial for themselves. That's Dr. Ku Kahakalau. The other side in this case is Maka. Antiku is the de facto leader of Protect YPO Valley, the group that set up the Kupuna checkpoint. At the checkpoint, she sometimes gets called the Grand Marshal. She got the nickname for marshalling the Waimea Christmas Parade. It suits her. Oh, aloha, they say aloha to you. Aloha. <laughs> My children grew up in YPO and know the stories and know the histories and know the chants and know the waterfalls, know all the place names, know the winds and the rains of that place. Um, and it being, you know, being a place of taro production is the other part, right? Auntie Ku and her family farm Kalo on the valley floor. That's what she sees as the sacred responsibility of YPO, to feed people. All that stuff that Maka mentioned in its lawsuit, enjoyment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that's all beside the point. It's all about me. You know, there's literally shirts out there. It's all about me. And that's American. That's American culture, that's American mindset. And not saying every American believes that, but that's what the American media, right? That's what the American 
um, movies and whatever, whatever, you know, all of that is putting out. It's all about me. Sure, you might have the legal right to go somewhere or do something. That doesn't mean you should. That's the point that Antiku is trying to get across. This idea of your personal well-being, your individual rights, outranking everything else. Antiku sees that as an imported mindset and fundamentally un-Hawaiian. I think the difference is that we think inclusively, that we think collaboratively, that we think of not just ourselves, but we think of a larger community, and we also think of the land, the aina, right? And we also think of the akua, the spiritual world. So for us, we make our decisions based on what is pono for kanaka, for aina, and for akua kind of thing. Antiku sees the surfers and their crew as extractive. They haven't been good stewards of the valley. They jam up the road, leave trash, disturb sacred sites, traipse across people's backyards. They don't deserve to be there, and Waipio would be better off without them. After all, if the valley isn't tied to your livelihood, what incentivizes you to take care of it? The surfers would absolutely disagree, and probably follow up with, Hey, why are you pointing the fingers at us? We all know the real problem. Tourists. YPO regularly ranks in the top places to visit on Hawaii Island. Google it, and you'll see what I mean. And you know what? It can be hard living in paradise when everybody else knows it's paradise too. It's like hosting a party at your house. Only your house is the first thing that comes up on Google when you search party, and there's an entire industry dedicated to tell people you don't know about how great the party at your house is, and all of a sudden you can't find a place to park in your own damn driveway. And we have people that came in here and said, you know, we paid $1,400 for our ticket. We can go anywhere we like, you know. Not really, you know. I mean, that's just because you bought a ticket to be here doesn't mean you have a right to go anywhere you want. You know, you didn't buy a ticket to to every place in Hawaii. You just bought a ticket to the airport as far as we're concerned, you know, kind of thing. Hawaii has been overcrowded for so long. I'd honestly almost forgotten what it was like before. But when the pandemic started, along with so much else, COVID-19 hit a pause on tourism in the valley. Suddenly, the space belonged to the residents again in a way it hadn't for decades. That's part of the reason why Maka's lawsuit felt like such a slap in the face to Antiku. Suing the county risked opening up the valley to everyone. That means residents and tourists. I mean, obviously you can choose what you guys use to air or not, but like, it wasn't, oh, he did emergency proclamation, we jumped to a lawsuit. A lot of us regular ocean goers were you know, dumbfounded because February 24th, February 25th, there was not some major incident that created a reason to have this closure. You know, a lot of us were down in the valley the day before. Roland says they didn't get anywhere with the county when they reached out for clarity on what the plan was to fix the road or how long it would be closed. We are basically kind of kept just getting brushed off and not getting any answers. There still wasn't any plan of fixing the road. We didn't know how long that could take. And unfortunately in our county, we know large um, construction projects can take a very long time. And so for a lot of us is like, okay, wait, it's closed. And for, we don't know how long and that our group and ocean access is completely cut out. Roland wasn't even sure he bought into the geotechnical survey that was the basis for the road closure. At one point in one of the meetings, the mayor told us, I'm not an engineer. If you can find another engineer that tell otherwise, I'd happy to listen to him. So we literally found other engineers who told him the statistics that he was using were flawed. We were told, sorry, no one's going to listen to you unless you get a lawyer. It sounds like the lawsuit was, was actually 
you know the last the last uh, resort because you guys tried different different methods to communicate and get information from the county. Correct. The way the mayor went about it, stating that access was available to some but not others. Typically, if it's a safety issue, it's close for everybody. If there's a storm and there's trees across the road, everybody is close to everybody. And that statement right there was the start of the creation of the division in our community is saying that some people have access, others don't. So you don't like where the mayor drew the line in the sand to say, you guys are in, you guys are out. How do you feel about tourists? Tourism is a very sensitive subject, but that's, that's not what we're fighting for. That's not something, a subject at this time that we were getting involved in. We were mostly fighting for our, our local community um, having ocean accidents. Maka said that letting tourists back into the valley wasn't on the menu, but if they won their lawsuit, the mayor's emergency proclamation could get thrown out, meaning that potentially everybody, everybody, including tourists, would be let back in. So when the judge signaled that Maka was going to win their case, they hit the brakes. At the same time, I was in the long-term steering committees with farmers and residents, and we all knew of real issues that needed to be dealt with. And the judge signaled that too and recommended going to mediation to try and find a middle way to not completely open up the road back to how it was. That middle way was this. People with a Hawaii County driver's license and four-wheel drive vehicle could go down into Waipio Valley. Roland and Nahaku hoped that would preserve some of the peace that locals found in the valley during the pandemic. It's really a different space today. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's peaceful. And it really is like a place where community is coming together and has space to come together. And so... We need to make sure that our interactions are healthy for YPO. Do we need to roll back a little bit of our own wants and needs and expectations? Probably. But Nahaku thinks the key to preserving the change that the Valley has seen during the pandemic is to make sure the community, not just farmers, residents, and leaseholders, but the whole community has a presence in YPO and that the community's access is protected. Because the other piece in YPO is Bishop Museum. Bishop Museum is the majority landowner in Waipio Valley. They control almost 70% of the valley floor and lease land to taro farmers. So many people who have long, long, long relationship to Waipio are leaseholders. And not that long ago, Bishop Museum tried to sell. Here's the context to what Nahaku is talking about. In 2016, Bishop announced its intent to sell its land holdings in Waipio Valley for close to $10 million. The sale was supposed to keep the museum solvent, but it left leasees and stakeholders scrambling over who had enough cred to steward nearly an entire sacred valley and who had deep enough pockets to front the cost. Three years later, Bishop took YPO off the market, but the experience rocked residents and community members. Where does that put us? If we're gonna be locked out because we don't own land in YPO and then Bishop Museum sells, you're creating like a, like a kukio situation. In case Kukio doesn't ring any bells for you, let me zoom out. Kukio, called Hawaii's most exclusive community, is an ultra-luxe gated getaway on the Kona coast. It's just north of the Kona airport, and you can see it from the plane when you're flying in. Miles and miles and miles of black barren lava, and then this sudden outcrop of luxury houses, almost like a mirage. I never got the appeal, but then again, I'm not the fanciest guy in the world. Kukio's been home to mega-rich computer dude Michael Dell, 
mega rich hedge fund dude, Ken Griffin, and most recently, Oscar-winning Texan heartbreaker, Matthew McConaughey. It's a playground for rich people and doesn't pretend to be anything else. And to be honest, I have a hard time imagining that people would ever let something like that happen to some place as sacred as YPO. Then again, Bishop's asking price, $10 million. Many of the lots in Kukio cost twice that. Imagine a whole lush valley, a thousand foot waterfall, a mile long beach almost all to yourself. Actually sounds like a steal at $10 million for the right buyer. Hey, install a helipad and you don't even have to bother with any of this trouble with the road. And there are rules in place in other resort situations that still provide for access for our local communities, even into those resorts. Public beach access is constitutionally protected at Kukio, at Kumukea in front of the Four Seasons, in front of Turtle Bay, and almost, almost everywhere else in the state. But when access to Waipio was closed over public safety concerns, being a resident, only private property became the new basis for access. I realized talking to Nahaku that I had been so focused on whether or not valley access should be restricted to residents, I hadn't really stopped to question who those residents might be. So I looked at all the tax records for every parcel on the valley floor. Bishop. 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 Huh. Ballant. Ballant? Coming up. Are Silicon Valley billionaires buying up YPO after the break? Hey, if this show resonates with you, we have an opportunity for you to be part of one of our episodes. We'll be hosting a live recording of our season finale on Saturday, August 12th at Hawaii Public Radio's Atherton Studio in Honolulu. We'll have guests in the studio, including a representative from Kamehameha Schools, to talk about the future of land management in Hawaii. And they'll be taking your questions. You can join us in person or via Zoom. Admission is free, but spots are limited. We'll have food and drinks and all that good stuff, so come hungry and bring your burning questions. You can meet me and all the other cool folks who worked on the show, and we'll even have exclusive This Is Our Hawaii merch available for those who attend. So save your spot. You can find more info on how to attend at hawaiipublicradio.org slash our Hawaii. See you then. I'm Russell Subiano. You're listening to This Is Our Hawaii. After talking to the Haku and Roland, this idea of outside ownership buying up the valley really got into my head. So I started digging through Hawaii County's property tax records just to get a better sense of who actually owned land in the valley and when they bought it. That's when I found it. Tucked into the back of the valley, there's a two-acre parcel purchased under the name Balanita Trust. The tax records list a mailing address as a $3 million mansion in Kona, also purchased under the name Balanita Hale LLC. The property manager is listed as Cedric Dajaville who comes up on LinkedIn as a former senior manager of corporate sales at Snowflake. Snowflake is a data cloud company. Scrolling through their website doesn't really give me a better understanding of what they actually do, but apparently they did it well enough to make more than a billion dollars last year. The company was started 11 years ago by a pleasant enough looking French guy with a PhD in computer science named Benoit Dajerville, whose net worth also rakes in at more than a billion. 
and he's Cedric's dad. We reached out to Cedric on LinkedIn and via email to ask what his plans were for the property in YPO. He didn't get back to us. You're creating a situation where the ability to buy land that just became very, very, very valuable is going to be your ticket into the valley. It's dangerous. The Dagonvilles bought their property in YPO in April, just one week after Maka filed their lawsuit, which I got to say stings a little bit. For as long as community members have been having these difficult and bitter conversations with each other about who belongs where, it seems like for the right price, others have always been able to buy an all-access pass to our lands. But that's the exception at YPO, at least for now. For the record, I called Bishop Museum and asked them point-blank if the organization might sell its land in YPO Valley in the future. I talked to Raymond Kong, Vice President and General Counsel. He's a nice guy, and I was surprised at how candid he was with me. He essentially said that if Bishop Museum planned to sell YPO while he was with the organization, it would have to be over his dead body. For now, the valley is still a place where people live and make a living working the land. Those are the folks at the checkpoint, like Auntie Ku. The most important part to me is that we use this opportunity now to create a long-term management plan, you know. And that's really where I want to help as much as I can help by making sure that the voice of the people from YPO is heard and is integrated into these plans. I mean, we've been voicing our concerns and our issues for so long, but it hasn't gone anywhere. Maka and Protect YPO Valley agree on at least one thing. YPO deserves better than what we've given it. Lots of resources and lots of negotiation are gonna have to go into managing the valley effectively. And when I'm at the checkpoint, I'm comforted by the physicality of it. It's a different kind of landmark than you see on a best places to visit website. Will it accomplish everything that Antiku hopes for? Maybe not. But at the very least, it says, hey, pay attention. This place matters. Why are we here? We are here because YPO needs our protection, right? We are here because YPO cannot speak for itself, right? So we have to speak for YPO. And that why is big enough to sustain us and give us that stamina to be here for as long as it takes, that until we are able to put protective measures in place that assure that this valley can continue to be the cultural kipuka. Hey, you told me to call you. All right, are you rolling? Yeah. Have you heard anything about the checkpoint? I haven't heard anything lately. Two weeks after I visited Auntie Sherry and Auntie Koo at the checkpoint, a Kona low storm slammed the big island. Rain flooded roads and high surf crashed against the coastline. My producer Savannah was there. And when everything dried out, she went to see how the checkpoint fared. Okay, I'm going to text you. I'm going to put you on speaker. I'm going to text you a photo I took. Hold on. The photo she sent me showed a corner of the YPO Valley parking lot lined with cars, all shiny in the bright sun. It took me a minute to register that that's where the checkpoint had been, the same place I had stood with Auntie Sherry just a few mornings ago. The last time you seen us at the lookout, we all pretty much stayed there for maybe about a good two weeks more, and then the strong 
winds came, right, which right. was a storm, and everybody just vanished, right? Tent was up and over on top of the electric wire, and yeah, it, it lifted the tent. I was worried in the weeks after the storm when I couldn't get a hold of Auntie Sherry on the phone. I didn't know how she would feel about the checkpoint being gone after she had put so much work into it. And when I finally got a hold of her, she seemed as good-natured as ever and said we could stop by her place next time we were in town. Good to hey, see you. How's that? Good to see you. Nice shirt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come. Thank you. When the storm kind of simmered down and I did go to the lookout, nothing there. No. Gone. Everything gone. Oh, wow. So it, it was like we were never there. How did that, did that make you feel like, like you, like you guys wanted to start over again? Or did it make you feel like maybe that was a sign that was yeah. time to be pal? It, it, to me, yeah. it was an uplifting moment because, you know, God works in mysterious ways. He's a funny God, but he's a good God. When I spoke to Auntie Ku, she said people would man the checkpoint for as long as it takes. But Auntie Sherry says the reality of that mission was grinding people down. It was getting harder and harder to staff the checkpoint at nights and on weekdays. Even the most steadfast supporters still had jobs, kids to take care of, lives to live. So you were relieved when the storm took the tent? Yeah, because everybody can go home and spend time with their ohana, yeah. I gave my time and away from my grandchildren. And when you take me away from my grandbabies, you're, you're lucky to have me, man. Because the only other way is like, I'll be in Waipio Valley. And how, how long have you had your lease? It's going on the fifth year. Oh, fifth year, that's what I thought. Oh, right. and I had to guess, yeah. I feel so blessed, you don't know. So, so blessed. Many people were scared when the road was closed that a place that they had grown up going to would no longer be accessible to them. How do you think you would have felt about this issue? If I wasn't a part of that, I would be hurt just like them. Can you, can you expand on that? Like, what would that actually mean for you to be separated from that land? Uh, because I'm Hawaiian, first of all, I would be very hurt. Not being able to go in the river, especially. Not so much the ocean, but just the river to cleanse yourself. Wash your hair with the avapui. You know, it's things like that. Or go go get opai, pako, the ferns. Or or me and my, my best friend, Donna Mae Apak. She would go underneath the tree in the river now. Cherry, bring the bucket closer. Or the basket. Okay. You get them. Wait, 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 wait. You had a bucket pinching my hand. Pinching my I get them, I get them. I bring them up. Bring the bucket. Go. Holy sh! That's a big one. That's a big. The prawn. Mm. She would literally let the bucket bite her finger. <laughs> it was easier to catch than bite your finger. Those are the days. I mean, the memories that that we have, yeah, of the valley and when people come and things change and life changes and it everything changes for a reason, yeah. But it's hard to change something that's been going on like generations and that's their way of life yeah. the issues i think on the surface seem to be you know land ownership or access to the valley 
but I kind of feel too is that at the heart of the issue is this like sense of belonging, right? Who who do you think belongs in YPO? Is it just the landowners? Is it just the the residents? Is is it the community? Who who do you feel belongs in YPO? You're gonna feel it in your heart if you can go down if you belong you're gonna feel it but as soon as you get scoldings from somebody you must have done something wrong read the signs you know blah 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 and yeah it's just having respect respect is given you give the respect and the respect will return come back to you so a whole lot has happened it's now July 2023, can we start off with just what the exact status of the road to YPO Valley is today? Yeah, so construction on the road is ongoing. The county has completed phase one of their safety mitigations earlier this summer. And during that process, the road is actually closed from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday through Friday to everyone, including residents. So there's no traffic going up and down YPO Valley Road during that time. And it's still the, it's kind of still the, pro- the start of this process. So at this point, we don't know exactly what kind of closures will come as construction continues down the road. Okay, okay. And that phase one is complete. Yes, phase one is complete. You know, I appreciate Auntie Sherry's point that she's so genuine all the time and everything that she says, but I do feel like she kind of, at the end, gave us a non-answer. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, she essentially said that at the end of the day, everyone has to decide for themselves whether or not they belong in YPO Valley, which I just think kind of puts us back where we started. Like, I might think I belong, but you could disagree with me. How do I ensure that I'm informed enough to make that decision for myself every time? Yeah, yeah, that that's tricky. You know, I, I think part of the power of the checkpoint was it kind of externalized that thinking, you know, like it was a very physical structure asking you to engage with your own belonging and sense of place. And I think those types of reminders are super helpful and we need to get more of them. But really, I think it's kind of like a practice of reflection that we all need to get into. Mm. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like an, an internal checkpoint that we all need to have. Uh, yeah, in, in one sense. You know, prior to interacting with the Kupuna checkpoint, I don't think I ever wondered if I belonged in YPO Valley because I'm Kanaka Oevi and I've always followed the rules, but at this point in time, it's it's more complicated than that. Right, right. The last time I went down into YPO Valley prior to the checkpoint was in August of 2021, and my daughter's roommates, her college roommates, were visiting, and she is very close with them, and and they've become part of our family, and they were visiting the Big Island with us for the first time. And I wanted to share a piece of Hawaiian history and culture with them that they could only get from family. And so this, this look, that look of amazement 
on their faces mm-hmm. was priceless. You know, they they grew up in they grew up in in California, in, in the concrete jungle. I, I mean, just the the amazement on their faces were was worth it, and that experience is etched in their mind and will forever change them. Mm. And I, I think as human beings and as Kodaka Oivi, I think we need more of those kinds of opportunities. But as someone who is not a resident and not a current steward of the land in the valley, we also need to be vigilant about letting the valley rest. I mean, it, it has limits. It can't be on all the time. So much of Hawaii's land is sacred, so we really do kind of have to walk this line all the time. Can I ask you, like, the million-dollar question for all the marbles? (laughs) Go go for it. After all the people we've talked to, after all the experiences that we've had, would you feel ready to go back into the valley today? Let, let me let me put it this way. After this experience, I can't help but see things differently. In the past, I, I probably would have just described Waipio Valley as a tourist destination or a historical landmark or an agricultural hub or a recreational site or, or a, a spiritual site. And maybe it's all of these things. Maybe it's none of these things. But the one impression I got from everyone is that why Peel Valley is a member of their family. And it provides physical and emotional and spiritual sustenance, and it deserves to be respected and protected like a grandparent or an elder. And it's kind of seeing things in this new light that will that will guide me moving forward, that will guide my decisions as, as to whether I would go back into the valley in the future. And I think at this point in time, I feel like I need to find a way to give back to YPO Valley before I receive from it again. And that ultimately will determine when and how I go back into the valley. This is our Hawaii. I'm Russell Subiono. Mahalo to everyone who talked story with us and everyone tuning in. We know you just followed us down a rabbit hole, but there's more coming. Next up, we've got the first of a two-parter about how the island of Lanai came under private ownership over a hundred years ago and what that means for residents' sense of belonging today. You can find our episodes Fridays wherever you get your podcasts and at hawaiipublicradio.org. It took a lot of people to get this thing off the ground, this episode is written and produced by me and my producer, Savannah Harriman-Pote. Our boy, Casey Harlow, helped to create our show. This Is Our Hawaii is produced with support from PRX and is made possible in part by a grant from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. Original music courtesy of Anne Lelehua Lanzalati and additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Kristen Littman designed our dope logo. Fact-checking for this episode was done by Emily Tom. Any part of this episode that sounds good is thanks to Anandev Banerjee. Good chance you found out about this show in the first place thanks to the work of Sylvia Flores, Liberty Peralta, Sophia McCullough, and Krista Rados. Jason Ubai is the glue that holds this thing together. 
Bill Dorman lets us run wild with our ideas, but always keeps the lights on for when we're ready to come home. A big thanks to Grandma Dorothy, our favorite listener. Love you. Thank you.